Hello, everybody, and welcome to Last First Day, the podcast where I, Billy Gleason, lead guests from the entertainment industry back through one more perfect day of school. Why? Well, their schools happened to have reached out to me and told me that they were technically one day short of graduating. I know, rubbish. But due to my magical powers, I'm able to lead them back through one more perfect day with all their favorite things, all their favorite teachers, all their favorite classes, all their favorite lunches. And in the space of about 45 minutes to an hour each week, we get those people graduated again. And it's like nothing ever happened. Now, if you joined us last week, you'll know exactly how the format goes. If you didn't, I highly recommend going back and checking it out. I had a lovely conversation with my friend Stephen DeNano, and we got him all graduated again, and everything's fine. We're going to do it again this week. Another great conversation. Another person getting graduated. And that person, you know him from Netflix's Drive to Survive. You have known him from the Formula One coverage for years now. And you may just know him because he's a wonderful bloke. So we're shipping it off back to the UK this episode to spend the last first day with Will Buxton. My guest today is a broadcaster, author, and voice artist. He has been involved in the highest levels of global motorsport for over 20 years. He started out in print, then you would have seen him in the USA covering Formula One, first on the Speed Channel, rest in peace, then on NBC as the pit reporter, and now he's employed directly by the sport to head up their F1 TV channel as the lead presenter. You may know him. From the Netflix sensation Drive to Survive, I am lucky enough to know him as my mate, Will. Will Buxton, how are you, my friend? I'm great, buddy. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. This is so much fun to have you on in the early days of the podcast. I really appreciate you agreeing to do it. And in the early morning, US time. It so, is. Uh, yes. It's all right. It's all right. I get up any time for you, my friend. But <laughs> we're actually speaking um, between the first two races of the 2023 season for you. So if you wouldn't mind speeding back for us, like, just how was week one? How was it being back? It was great. You know, look, we we uh, we spend all winter wondering what the cars are going to look like for the season and you know, who's developed what, because unlike, you know, NASCAR or IndyCar, where you pretty much have the same cars every season, you know, in Formula One, the rate of development from year to year is absolutely huge because every team turns up with their own unique car that they themselves have designed. The only thing they have in common is, you know, some teams might share the same engine and they've all got the same tires. But other than that, they're completely unique down to the nuts, the bolts, literally every single part of that car is machined specifically for that car. Wow. So we spend three days of practice pre-season and that's like Christmas day. Cause you get to unwrap the boxes and see, see what you've got. Yeah. And then the first race is like, you know, it's like boxing day. Cause you get to play with them and see, see what they'll do. So yeah, it's been, you know, look, as many questions answered in that first weekend as there were answers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there as many questions answered as, as I, it made sense to me, but yeah, I yeah. think you said it backwards. As many questions not- asked, as answered yes. see that's why i do the telly thing um <laughs> um and, and it's, honestly the the start of any season i think in any sport is is phenomenal because there's always that that hype that expectation the hope it's the hope that kills you every you know every time. year every, every year time. so you've been you know working across all types of motorsport for a couple of decades now but i'm curious in the formula one world that sort of first race back for you, do you get that same excitement, that same rush at the start of every single season? Absolutely. I mean, this is year 23 for me, I think doing this now and I'm getting old. I'm 42. (laughs) Um, uh, I feel old anyway, but it's probably the 20 years of traveling around the world that's beaten the hell out of me. Mate, you got um, 10 years on me and I look older than you, so don't even worry fair, about it. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Um, no, mate, listen, if I didn't still love it, then yeah. I, cu- I couldn't do it. It's uh, it's a long time away from home. He has 23 races a year now. And you, you couldn't do it. And, and I try to be you know, 100% authentic and 100% myself in everything that, that I do on screen. And I, I couldn't you know, bound around and jump in front of a camera and pretend to be that excited about something if I didn't genuinely still hold that love for it. And I still get the same buzz, you know, when that, when they give me my pass for the year and, and I beep through the gates and I'm walking around and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my heroes. Yeah. Like 
how does that get old? Does you it know? Still, it's it's amazing. Does it still feel at some point like what what am I doing here? Like how did I get this yes. lucky to get to do this for my job? Yes, yes, it's imposter syndrome. It is every day of my life is imposter syndrome, and that somebody at some point will turn around to me and say. We're terribly sorry, Will. There's been a massive mistake. It would appear that for 23 years you've not been working at all uh, and you've actually just been enjoying yourself. So uh, you have to go and do something serious and proper now and this gallivanting around the world and not really working has to stop. Yeah, it was a dream the whole time. You wake up in the hospital bed and it was just like, oh... Well, that Bingo. was a blast. Yeah. Bingo. But at least then I'll have the Formula One results for the next 20 years and I'll be will, a billionaire. You so. will. You will. Good times. <laughs> you mentioned a lot of travel on the road, a lot of time away, and that's, you know, the stuff that makes it difficult. But for someone who's interested in the behind the scenes, are you nonstop on the road? You know, if it's going from Saudi to Singapore or whatever, are you just constantly gone that whole time? Or do you get a couple of days back home before heading back out? It depends if, so we will do back-to-back races, so concurrent weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, And now because there's so many races, they do triple headers where you do three in a row. And I know they do that in NASCAR because there's like 30,000 NASCAR races a year. But with Formula One, it's not just jumping state to state, it's country to country. So you can be, I think this year, the craziest one is we're jumping from Vegas to Abu Dhabi. Oh, convenient. One one weekend to the next. Right around the corner. Yeah. yeah, or back Baku to Miami. That's the other one. So Ooh. Azerbaijan to Miami. That's, you know, just next door to each other. Yeah. If they're European-based and they're back-to-back, I'll, I'll head home for a couple of days in between, mm-hmm. um, particularly at the moment because my wife's pregnant, so I need to get oh, home congrats, and mate. see I her. Didn't know. Thanks, what? man. Revealing it on the <laughs> podcast. My word. So excited for you. Um, yeah, I mean, so so we just had pre-season testing in Bahrain, mm. and then the first race was in Bahrain. So there were four days in between the two. And Bahrain's got some really nice golf courses. So I, I said to the missus, you know, they've got some stuff organized in between. Going to go and play golf with the boys and mm-hmm. going to do a bit of go-karting. And she said, the hell you are. You're coming home. <laughs> I was like, okay, come home as often as I can. But no, you know, it's, it's sometimes we will go we'll go back to back. And it's it's a full week, you know, we're we're filming sometimes on the Wednesday, then all day Thursday, practice is Friday practice and qualifying Saturday, race Sunday, you know, pick up your stuff on Monday, fly mm-hmm. to the next place, sometimes land Tuesday, then get into it Wednesday, Thursday. It's, uh, it's full on. You mentioned the joys of being out there, whether it's doing a little bit of golfing, a little bit of karting, whatever you get to do. What is your favourite race to go to, your favourite city, country to go to? What's the one you always look forward to? I get that a lot, mm. you know, that question. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't have a definitive answer because – it's it's so difficult to compare countries and are we just looking at the city or do you want the racing circuit and then why is it like because of the quality of the racing or because of the difficulty of the track and all those kind of things i love budapest Mm -hmm. so budapest is one of my favorite cities in the world culture the history of the place it's a beautiful city Mm. the sport tends to visit it height of the summer just before the summer breaks it's got a real kind of last day of school vibe to it Great. playing into the podcast love theme. it appreciate it thank you pleasure <laughs> yeah you know so everyone's like even the drivers are not really taking it too seriously so you usually get a bit of a crazy race um oh, i love good. singapore because it's night race very very different very cool city i love japan because it's so very different i love visiting the u.s to race now We're going mm-hmm. there three times this year First time yeah. US has had three races in a year. So Austin, Texas, Miami and Florida, yeah. and, uh, and obviously Vegas. So uh, so that's going to be huge. I have to circle back just a couple of sentences there because you mentioned the American Grand Prix, and I, I'm truly fascinated by this. As someone who grew up in the 90s watching the sport, my dad, being the biggest fan of the sport I know, grew up watching it, would fall asleep in front of it watching Nigel Mansell on Sundays, and... When I was growing up, it was a drought of American Grand Prix. Like it, it didn't exist in the 90s, yeah. really. I think maybe there was like Phoenix in 90 or 91, was that? Yeah, well, it, it like didn't that? have a home. So it was like yeah. you'd have like a couple of races in Dallas and then a couple of races in Phoenix. And mm. they tried to have a race in Vegas in back in 81. But oh, they wow. did it in Caesars Palace car park. Literally did it in the car park of Caesars Palace. It's a huge car park, right. but it's not a well beating grand prix venue mm-hmm. um and then we tried it at indianapolis for a few years on mm-hmm. the sort of inner course that they created inside the oval mm-hmm. the indycar now races on in the month of may as well as on the actual proper oval mm-hmm. but that didn't really work 
and then they built this all singing, all dancing track in Austin, Texas, which mm-hmm. was amazing and has become this brilliant home for Formula One. It's beautiful. And then along comes Drive to Survive. Oh, my God. And the American owners of the sport all at the same time, and this interest starts to ramp up stateside. And then suddenly, you know, Miami turns around and says, yeah, we'd like a race, please. So now we're off, you know, went to Miami last year for the first time, and it was it was a huge success. Yeah. And then Vegas said, yeah, we want to do this properly. And you know what? We want to shut down the whole of Vegas and run a Grand Prix down the Strip. That's and amazing. you don't say no to that, do Not you? at all. I mean, that's going to be insane. No, that's going to be amazing. And I have to, a random thing I heard once upon a time, and I was wondering if there's any truth to the rumour, I heard there was also rumours that they were either trying to or talking about trying to do one on the streets of Manhattan once upon a time, whether it was so way back when. it almost happened in, in Jersey. Oh, wow. And it was going to be a New Jersey race mm-hmm. uh, because then you'd get Manhattan in the in the background. I see. And that very nearly came to fruition, but just didn't didn't quite happen. There wasn't really the support for it at the time. I think now, if you went to hold a race in New York yeah. or New Jersey or, you know, anywhere around there, I think it'd be it'd be cool. It'd be really, really cool. I'm always yeah. amazed that Formula E, given that they're electric and kind of green and all that, never did one around Central Park because I thought that would be wicked because you've got actual roads going through Central Park. Yeah, you do. So you could do a Formula E race around there, which is, for those mm. who don't know, is, is an all-electric racing championship. So they're all in the same car pretty much. And it's all kind of, you know, supposed to be good for the environment because it's all, all electric. Right, right. Um, so yeah, an electric version of Formula One. So it's not noisy. They just sound like massive scale electric cars, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that could be done. You know, you wouldn't yeah, want definitely. Formula One in, in Central Park, but you could do it with Formula E. Yeah, and you can do, I think, to your point about doing it in Jersey, you know, Miami, they've done the thing where it's all, it wraps around the Dolphins Stadium down there, Bingo. doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And if, you know, if it was in Jersey, whether MetLife, you know, where the Giants play or whatever, you could do the sort of same thing over there. I mean, traffic's miserable. I think, you know, it's going to it's gonna take everyone hours to finish a lap. It's going to be a while <laughs> if they've got to hop on and off the turnpike. But we'll try and see what we can do here in Jersey. We'll do it on Staten Island, you know. We'll all get the ferry. <laughs> we'll do, everyone's wheels are getting nicked, mate. You ever got, they got no chance. <laughs> they got no chance. You know, yeah, Staten they Island. come into the pits, you know. <laughs> you're going to get a sub-two-second pit stop. They're all around. Where are the wheels gone? <laughs> where are the spare wheels? <laughs> You briefly brought up Drive to Survive there, a massive smash hit, certainly, I mean, all over the world, but here in America, for someone who has been a fan of the sport like myself for a few decades. Uh, and you worked in it, don't and say And I so did, sure. loved it. I had the same feelings as you when you were saying, you know, that imposter syndrome and how you felt. I remember the first race I ever worked was in Austin, 2015. I want to say and you and I met there and you had to you know go to the car park park your car and then you take like the shuttle into the tv compound the little van and the first day I'm thinking this is so cool this is so cool this is so cool as I get in the van who sits next to me but Damon Hill and you know it's just one of those like you're getting you're thinking you're getting on with camera guys audio guys whatever and as a British kid who loves the sport you're There's just the like, 1996 Formula <laughs> One world champion sitting next to you. Yeah, you're just like, oh, God, what do I do? And shameless plug, I actually have a connection to Damon through my dad because my dad works in the car world and happens to now be the owner of one of Damon's father's cars. I did not know that. Yeah, I'll have to send you a picture on the side. He has, a, he has one of Graham's cars. And my dad will probably be screaming at the podcast right now because I'm not saying the specific car and the design. Is that because you don't remember? I d- no, I know exactly what it looks like, but I don't oh, want to okay. say the wrong thing. I don't want to say the wrong <laughs> thing. So I remember what car it is. It's absolutely stunning. I'll have to share it with the world. But I was texting my dad next to Damon. And I'm like, Dad, I'm sat next to Damon Hill. And he was like, oh, my God you have to show him the car. And so I was like, I don't know if I can do that. That's going to be, what am I going to do? He's like, God, you have to try. How many times in your life are you going to be sat next to Damon Hill? Totally. I was like, all right. And so I lean over. I'm like, Damon, I'm so, so sorry. But, you know, I'm a big fan and, you know, grew up watching you. And my dad uh, happens to own one of your father's cars. And, you know, I know uh, his, his father passed away, I believe, when Damon was quite young. Yeah. And... Damon was just he seemed so touched by it and was just like a he really so appreciated people keeping like his family legacy 
alive and what have you. And he just kind of gave me that nod of like, you know, thank you for that. That yeah. was really sweet. And I was just like, ah, oh. people say don't meet your heroes. I recommend it. I'll give it a go. Meet, meet Damon because he's a lovely man. So, so nice. But Drive to Survive, I've watched that thing explode here in America. And again, as a kid who has been a fan of it for a long, long time, people really had no clue what it was in this country a little over 10 years. Certainly people my age, about 10 years ago, were not into it. Drive to Survive sends this thing stratospheric. What has it been like to watch that, certainly in America, the growth of this sport? has that? How fulfilling has that been for you? It's been wild, mate. Yeah. Like completely crazy. I remember the first time we went to Austin and we got stopped for speeding by one of the you know local sheriffs or whatever. Yeah. He was just like, you know, I can't do an American accent, but you know, he was <laughs> like, we gave him drive English driving license, and he's yeah. just like, you know, what are you boys doing over here? And we were just like, oh, we're here for the Formula One. Yeah. And he's like, is that like NASCAR? And we were just like, mm, not really. Um, and I love that yeah, you were pulled now, over by Yosemite Sam in this. In yes, this sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You go to the States now, and I was wearing an Alpha Tauri, which is one of the teams, an Alpha Tauri, but it, it's a Red Bull brand. Uh, it's their clothing brand. And I was wearing a, a hoodie, an Alpha Tauri hoodie. Mm-hmm. I was going through, I think, Detroit airport and one of the guys there just said you know you want to get yourself a red bull top upgrade from alpha tauri because red bull is the big the big team yeah and i was like that shows an in-depth level of knowledge as to the workings of formula one um it's crazy man like i've seen it grow and grow you know when we were doing nbc we'd get five hundred thousand viewers if we were lucky Mm -hmm. we were no way competing with indycar which was a million plus we were nowhere competing with nascar which was three four million and now f1 on a good day will easily hit one and a half million actually just on a normal day will easily hit one and a half million and on good days is hitting two plus um and and the vast majority of that has come down to drive to survive and this Mm -hmm. increased awareness of the sport and people wanting to watch it particularly stateside and it was all kind of this perfect storm whereby you had the first couple of series of it and it had done good numbers but then covid hit Mm-hmm. And people were sat at home, you know, didn't know what to watch. And a number of people started watching it. So it started to creep up the charts and then it started to be in the top 10. And so people would watch it. And then it was over COVID, it was like consistently number one or in, in that top 10 of, of suggestions to watch and particularly so stateside. And then within that, Formula One was the first and I believe only international sport that continued all the way through COVID because the guys did an amazing job to keep it running. You know, we. Yeah had PCR tests every three days and I must have lost a good 20% of my brain mass through sticks being poked up as high as the top of my bloody eyeball every three days. You know, when it first just, started, yeah, I think that thing was coming out of like my bottom eyelid when yeah, they were dis- doing yeah, it. Yeah, it was disgusting. Like, oh, I, my word. Talking about how much I loved Hungary, there was a woman there, nurse, and she would size up your nose as you walked in through the door on the stick and then she sat down and literally held you back by your forehead and just rammed this thing in, right? And right up to the bottom of her thumb, boom, like straight in and, and then and out. And you kind of left the room like wobbling on your legs. I, I don't know what just happened to me. It was done. And everyone was walking out crying. And Is this why you say you love Hungary so much so that that no, does not happen that's, again? That's, that's like, I love it. Please don't do that to me. Yeah, I had this horrible memory from this place I love. Um, and it, it, that was grim. But that was, we, we did that, you know, every 72 hours for two years. Oh. You know, my wife used to work in Formula One. And oh. when we were at races, we weren't allowed to go within two meters of each other. Oh. And then we, we lived like this for two years mm-hmm. uh, with my wife. Yeah. And, and, but anyway, so people wanted this, this human interaction. They, mm. I think they needed a uh, human touch and, and, and uh, personality because they weren't getting it because they weren't leaving their homes and, and mm. Formula One provided this. And then you could watch these heroes and these people that you got to know at the weekends doing this thing that the series was telling them about. And so this crazy spiral just occurred. It was a freak chance yeah. and it just, and it just skyrocketed. And and he, and here we are. And now what's amazing with it is it's become the byword for a sports documentary. So, you know, there's just been one for tennis and golf and, you know, all, all these different sports. And none of them said, we need a sports documentary. Mm-hmm. They all said, we need a drive to survive. Yeah. And it has become this byword for telling the stories that aren't necessarily the championship stories. It's the people that you don't know, the stories that you don't hear, the things that you don't get to see, everything that exists 
beyond the headlines and beyond the headline makers, mm-hmm. showing you the reality of the humanity of the sport. And that's what I what's what I really love about it. It's incredible because to your point about the the byword of we need a drive to survive there have been sports documentaries in the past there's been the hard knocks series and what have you but people aren't asking for that people are asking whatever drive to survive did people want that replicated because my girlfriend for instance had never watched the sport was not familiar with the sport she is now all over it because the characters, the characters that exist within it, you don't even really have to have a strong fundamental understanding of the sport because people are into the characters. People love, I mean, Gunter has a yeah. worldwide fan base at this point. And there is this new thing, and it's actually done something incredible for Formula One, in my opinion. I don't know uh, what your perspective is on it, but people are now rooting for the little team. Absolutely. That's I never saw that as much when I was growing up. And now America has fans everywhere because they love Gunter. And, you know, there's and there's even, you know, this redemption arc you're watching now of, you know, Aston Martin's gone from being not great to being really good. And people are kind of irked by that because it's like, no, you're supposed to be down here. I don't like you being up here. This makes me uncomfortable. How has that played out? How have you watch that evolve of you know people rooting for the little guy over the years yeah, i mean you really see it there was more green in the bahrain grandstands this year than i've ever seen outside of europe i think a lot of that has to do with the fernando alonso effect there's probably mm-hmm. an element of drive to survive in that as well as you say Haas support around the world is probably not Haas f1 team support it's more gunther steiner support yeah but that's also the genius of the show because in season one they went to all the teams and said, "So we want to be in your debrief, we want to be in your garage, we want exclusive access to to all the teams." Mm-hmm. And Ferrari and Mercedes, who were the two top teams at the time and competing for the championship, went, <laughs> <laughs> uh, "Yeah, that's not going to happen," and and basically stopped them from filming them. Oh, wow. So season one has no Ferrari and no Mercedes in it. Mm. And then they see the success of season one and turn around and went, "Yeah, no, we need we need some of that." So suddenly they're on board for season two. But that meant that for season one, they couldn't tell the story of the championship. They had to tell another story. They had to find other characters. And therein lay the success that was almost not a mistake because they always wanted to tell human stories. But it was this glorious mistake that Ferrari and Mercedes wanted nothing to do with it. So they had to go and they had to find something else. And so mm-hmm. they found Gunther. They found Daniel Ricardo, who's huge stateside now. Massive. Um, they found all these people all these great human interest stories and brought them to life. Um, And it's a brilliant team. It's an amazing crew. I feel very lucky to be a part of it. You know, this is the same team that made the, the Ayrton Senna documentary, the Amy Winehouse documentary movie that Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have seen the Diego Maradona documentary movie. It's that same core team of people that made those who are now doing obviously drive to survive full swing break point all of these mm-hmm. it's, it's all of them they're a brilliant team paul martin leads that team and and is you know he knows what the what that golden touch is and uh, and is able to find those stories and really bring them out that's an, a sensational work from all of them and i do have to plug something you said as well because people talk about the rivalries in the sport like the max and lewis drama and there's always you know someone someone's drama going on and people saying you know like oh this is what makes the sport so great now and why everyone's tuning in that has existed for quite a long time you know the center documentary does such a good job of showing that of showing you know the times of center and and prost and you know and i was watching you know the height of the max and lewis stuff play out and i'm like there are parallels right here. Imagine if Twitter had existed in 1988 <laughs> when Senna and Prost make contact at the final corner in Japan and the championship is essentially given to Prost on a technicality mm-hmm. by a French president of the governing body. Can you imagine? It will put Max and Lewis in Abu Dhabi to shame. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not even close. No. Not even comparable. If the if the principles were on headset being recorded at that point when that happened, well, here's, you... no, here's the thing: because they were teammates, so you had yeah. the team boss having to take sides with one of his driver against another because the president of the governing body had to just had had decided he was going to side with the French driver and screw the Brazilian, mm-hmm. and so the team boss of that team had to basically come out and take sides with one of his drivers 
over the i mean it was it was madness I, like that is controversy truly truly was and to bring it back forward to the times now just the response to the max and lewis final race a couple of years ago I now go on the subways here in New York and I see people in the t-shirts that say, no, Michael, no, no, Michael, that is not right. And I'm like, people have got Toto Wolf quotes on their t-shirts. And I'm like, I want to be friends with this person. Like, that's an amazing shirt. I can only imagine what the words were back in the 80s. But again, teammates are just absolutely baffling. Mate, I could talk uh, motorsport with you all day, but sadly... That's not why we're here, is it? It's not why we're here. I've got a job to do. I've got a job to do, and it's the hardest part of the podcast every time to make this segue, but I have to do it. So I'm just going to be honest with you. Well, you said you said something had happened and someone had called you. So. Someone someone had, and I hate getting these calls, but they come through too often. I don't know why I'm the person, but they, they're like, Billy, we've heard you got this podcast, and we don't have the heart to tell Will ourselves. But it was a call from your school, the school you went to. I've, oh, I've forgotten the name of it. What's the name of your school? Well, there were a few, but the, the, the two I... I really went to uh, the King's School in Worcester and Lord Wandsworth College oh, uh, in Hampshire. I, you know, it was a conference call. They both opt on right. at the same time because they just said, you know, they were trying to kick it between each other and said, oh, you do it, you do it, you do it. And they were like, no, 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 there's this podcast, they'll do it. So they said, Bill, if you don't mind, I said, it's Billy, thank you very much. And they said, can you tell Will... He needs to complete one more day of school. There was a clerical error. It was what? one day short of graduating. Oh, no, mate, I'm so sorry. Wait, it was so one yeah, day I've short. got to go back and redo my common entrance and my GCSEs? Not not all of it. Not all of it. you just got to do one day. It was a time error. It wasn't an exam error. You don't have to take okay. any more exams. You just have to spend one more day at school, but you can do it all your best way, all your favourite things, favourite classes, favourite teachers, favourite all that. And we'll just walk you through that one last day of school and then you're fully graduated. Are you all right doing that, that with me today? That doesn't sound so bad. It's not so bad. It's been good so far. It's been good <laughs> so far. So let's do it one more day. This is last first day with Will Buxton. Will, start us off with the easy one. You mentioned the names very briefly, but talk to me about those schools. You said you had two schools. Yeah. So I went to the King School in Worcester. Okay. By the way, for an American listenership, this is going to be very strange because they're both boarding schools. Love it. Both both, uh, both private schools in the UK. So I'm, going to, I'm going to sound very snobbish, I'm sure, and very snooty. Um, <laughs> and I hope I don't because they were great schools. They were, they were really, really fun. Uh, the King School in Worcester, um, mm-hmm. which I went to from, I think, the age of about seven or eight up to 13. Mm-hmm. And then my parents moved down to Hampshire, down in the south of England. So I moved school to uh, Lord Wandsworth College, uh, which I went to until I did my GCSEs and I left and then I went to college. But college isn't college like in America because no. college in America is university mm-hmm. here. So college was just sixth form college where I did my A-levels. And that was somewhere different. So yeah, high school, King School Worcester and Lord Wandsworth College, darling, uh, in Hampshire. Lord Wandsworth College. That's a great, that sounds like Isn't its own it? Netflix show. That's such a good name for a school. It had its own farm. Did it really? Yeah. Uh, did they like so, like did they provide like eggs from the farm and what have you? Like they were using you know own what? produce? No idea. No, no idea. Just might have been ne- there for ne- fun. Never got involved. But there was like agricultural studies if you wanted to do it. No. I didn't. It was, no, I didn't. I didn't want to get my hands dirty, really. If you could be if, as amazing as that sounds. <laughs> so Lord Wandsworth College, that was the one in Hampshire. Yes. And that was where you finished up your your time before you went to college. So yeah. we're gonna call it a last first day there. We're gonna make it at on the farm at okay. Lord Wandsworth College is where we're gonna do this. Um but talk to me about the routine talk to me about the start of your day what sort of time did you wake up breakfast that sort of stuff how you begin in your school day well so i i was a boarder so of course we would be woken up with a, a bell uh ringing mm-hmm. but like an actual handheld bell ringing ding okay. ding ding you know i think it was like an old air raid warden's bell mm. um actually my first school that i went to they used to have a bell that they rung for for break times and all that. And I actually went online and 
found it and bought it. <laughs> and it is an old air raid warden's bell. Mm-hmm. And I now use it uh, if my daughter refuses to get out of bed for school. I walk <laughs> up to her bedroom and ring it. She hates it. It's bloody loud, as you'd expect, because it's supposed to be used in the middle of an air raid. Of so, um, uh, yeah, bell goes. All I remember is bitterly cold bathrooms, everything tiled, the water in the showers being lukewarm at best. You know, you could see your breath coming out of your mouth. It was so cold. And this is in the middle of the English countryside. So right. you know, miles away from civilization. So we couldn't run away even if we wanted to. Yeah. Get up, get into your school uniform, dark gray trousers, white shirt, black tie with red and yellow stripes on it, blue kind of like an Air Force-style jumper, so thick, knitted, um, very heavy British military-style jumper. Mm. Sweater. Sorry, sweater. Sweater. Uh, I'll help you you with translations as we go. Thanks, man. (laughs) I need to remember sneakers, not trainers. Yeah, Uh, And all that. Cool. And then straight to breakfast, the watery scrambled eggs and, you know, that's clearly made out of a packet and all that kind of stuff. I didn't like all of that. The best breakfast, though, is like once a week there'd be pan au chocolat. Oh yeah, That's but you only allowed you only allowed one. So what you do is you take your one, put it on the table, and then you'd get to the back of the line and go up again to try and get a second. Do you still have that feeling that you really want the pan au chocolat now? Like when you're on the road for Formula One and you're at the hotel, do you love a pan au chocolat, or does that take you back to the bad times? No, no, no. I'll, I'll always go for them, and I'll always take more than I need um, <laughs> from the buffet. You know, old habits die hard. Yeah, glass of milk pan of chocolate or you know like sausages or something like that the sleeping quarters i'm very curious on because i feel like american audiences are going to imagine you know these big hallways with just cots in them you know all the way along because i feel like that's how every show has always illustrated a, a british boarding school was it like that was it a yeah. bunch of bunch of guys in one room yeah so ba- basically a uh, big room with a so if I go back to my third form dorm, mm-hmm. you'd walk in through a big, heavy door, which had to be that way because it was a fire door. Okay. And then this long, thin room. But there were kind of cubicles as you went down, like an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rather than there being two desks in it, there'd be two beds separated right. by a kind of a, a two bedside tables with like a lockable unit in the bottom and then just two single beds. Yeah, and probably... One, two, three, four, five, six. So, so about 12, 12 boys per dorm. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, a big Victorian-style tiled bathroom down at the end, brown tiles on the floor, white tiles on the wall, white sinks, old brass taps. Sounds like Proper, you don't miss like, that part. You don't miss that. I don't like a sanatorium. You know that kind of it that kind of like that it. kind of vibe. Like you know, Return to Oz. Yeah. And Feruza Bulks in that mm-hmm. like nut house at the start. Yeah. Bit like that. All that's been in my head is sort of the Queen's Gambit sort of vibes. Is what I've got like that not, sort of era. not far off yeah. actually. Yeah, pretty pretty close. My and uh, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> I love the positive attitude on it. So you... Uh, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. You're there. You've got to make the most of it. So you had, is you know, 12 boys to a room, but you sort of had one roommate in your little sort of cubicle. Yes. Was that right? Yes. Did you get to pick who that was, or was that just assigned to you? No, it bundled in there. Mine was a guy called Matt Tate, who ended up being my best man, and oh, actually the only brilliant. person from school that I'm still in touch with. Really? Um, yeah, we've been friends ever since. Oh, that's fantastic! I've had terrible roommates over the years, <laughs> and I've just I can't I can't think of uh, a ton of them. That I mean, once I started living with people outside of university and stuff, you know, I got along really well with them. But like during my time in school, yeah, it was it was all over the place. It's hard, isn't it? Because you get it's like it happens at school, it happens at university a bit. But it's like a life lesson, you know, you get you get put with people that you're not always going to get on with and yeah. you've just kind of got to make the most of it. And whether it's work or school or whatever, you know, there's always going to be some dick yeah. who takes a severe dislike to you and tries to screw you over every opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, but you learn and you learn fast. Like, you know, I went to to this boarding school really young, really naive, turned up on my first day with my teddy bear and had my teddy bear thrown out the window. And as I was looking out the window crying because my teddy bear got thrown out the window, I was hoisted out the window and hung out the window by my feet. That was day one at boarding school. And I was just like, well, this is going to be shit. 
and I actually ended up having a really good time. First year was was grim, yeah. but from that point onwards, it kind of got progressively better as you made allies and found friends and and um it was actually there was actually a guy that's a guy in the sixth form because in every dorm there was a a sixth former who lived in a room off the dorm and it was his job to kind of make sure you didn't mess around and that you went to bed at the right time and all that and would also be kind of be like a person that you could go and talk to about stuff one of the sixth forms was a guy called tom pinchin Mm -hmm. and he saw that i had an and senna biography when I went there and he loved formula one and he oh, knew right. that I was getting shit from everybody. And so at one point just stood up in front of everybody and basically said, I was protected <laughs> and no one was going to touch me. And oh. I was just like, this is great. <laughs> and I don't know where he's gone. I don't know what he's done, but the day that Tom Pynchon in the sixth form at Lord, at Lord Onsworth college stood up for me because of my aunt and Senna book, that was, that all, was cool. All turned around really then. Cool. That's yeah. great. What a lovely, lovely guy. That's the routine in your one. That was your routine in the morning, but we're going to lock the window so that uh, teddy bear's not flying out of there and you're not being hung out there by Didn't your Didn't take him back after the first week. <laughs> we're going to make sure that day's perfect. Tom Pynchon's going to be there. Matt Tate's going to be there. It's already a great, great start to the day. But I want to get into the classes a little bit, and we start with the bad stuff here, so we make sure that that stuff is not on your schedule. What were the classes that you dreaded? I was never any good at physics, mm-hmm. much to my father's disappointment, because he was good at physics. I was yeah. terrible at it. Was that his field? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, dad was in the army. Dad was in the Royal Signals, so he was all kind of like radios and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So he was really he was really great with all of that. You know, something went wrong in the house, he would take it apart, be messing around with a soldering iron and putting chips in and, and transistors and all these kind of – he was brilliant. He would just fix all of that kind of stuff. And I would just be like, not a clue. Um, and he tried desperately to show me. And I'm just like, not interested. Dad. And now I wish I'd listened. Physics, I was terrible at. Maths, I was good at, but I never enjoyed. Mm. Really didn't enjoy it. Had Start. one of my best teachers in maths, but just never just never enjoyed it. Um, why, why didn't enjoy it? I mean, being so good at it and having a good teacher, you'd think so. I think same as physics you know they just they they didn't hold any interest for me anything that involved formulas and numbers it just it wasn't me i'm i've always been kind of arty so mm. it was you know like art music english like that's what i loved mm-hmm. those things held no interest to me and and i guess what uh, in america would be known as woodshop mm-hmm. we called cdt which is a very english word craft design and technology <laughs> um and and like i loved the concept of it but you stick me next to a drill a bandsaw literally something that will either take a digit a limb or all of my skin off my body and i don't want to be anywhere near it terrified me and terrified (laughs) me until i became a grown-ass man that needed to drill a hole in the wall at the house to put a tv bracket up or something like it's still i'm convinced that the drill bit is going to snap ping off the wall and go through my face i'm convinced every i'm terrified by the whole thing like did that awful. did anything like that ever happen no, of course not. Injury? no it's just completely irrational fear of course not but you know you, you've got the circular saw or the mm-hmm. bandsaw, and the teachers, you know, pushing the wood through with the two bits, with the two sticks. Yeah. And you can, fi- and th- there's always the stories that, oh yeah, somebody in the third form ten years ago pushed it through, took their hand off. Yeah. You know, yeah. and all that. And the teacher will say, you've got to use the wooden sticks because if you push it through with the hand, it can get pulled, and then it'll take you. They want to scare you. That oh, desperately. And so I've had a, an irrational fear of power tools and thus doing any work in the house that involves anything that's plugged into electricity i'm I'm imagining (laughs) the rest of your house just doesn't run on electricity at all it's just like a brick brick house with a little fire stove because you are just terrified of all no 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 no, no. i just get i just get someone in because i'm not i'm not taking responsibility for anything like that because i know i will pick the one point of the wall i will go in with the drill and i will drill straight through the power line yeah um and kill myself so it's just it's not worth it <laughs> so you didn't you didn't like physics you could do maths but you didn't like maths and uh cdt just gave you too much anxiety not having that yeah 
um, too, too triggering. So those are off the schedule. We don't have to worry about those. But now we're going to start to move into the good. What classes did you look forward to? What were the ones you were right up for, no matter when what the day was? Art, always art, always loved art. art. Okay, yeah, we had a, we had a pottery studio, which I I didn't like. I was never good at pottery, oh, um, but art, I loved doing art. I loved music. I was a music scholar, so so cool. I loved music. Actually, if we go back to the school that we're not talking about, mm. I was a chorister at the King's School. Really? So my my days at school there were completely different because I would start the day at seven thirty in the morning with an hour long rehearsal then do a full day of school, then another hour of rehearsal, then perform Evensong at the cathedral, do that every single day, then Saturday morning, two-hour rehearsal, then uh, Evensong, then Sunday morning, two-hour rehearsal and Eucharist, then Sunday night, one-hour rehearsal and Evensong, and then go back and do that again. So my school day started and ended with a rehearsal and a performance in front of a couple of hundred people in a cathedral. So I was classically trained. Will, can I just be honest, mate? You're doing me no favours because I've spent the last 15 years telling everybody that, you know, no, school in the UK isn't, you know, like Hogwarts and us all being like choir boys and stuff like that. First person from the podcast that I'm having on from the UK <laughs> is exactly Sometimes the stereotype. Sometimes it's just like Hogwarts, <laughs> just without the magic uh, and the chocolate frogs. Um, uh, but yeah, so yeah, so that was, that was my last school. Loved music. Mm-hmm. I loved... English language, loved English lit, you know, Shakespeare and L.P. Hartley. And uh, yeah, that was, that was, loved loved all of that. Uh, loved history. Wow. Okay. Um, you mentioned quite a few classes right there. If I'm, if I'm going to yes. try and narrow it down to three, it sounds like art. Art, 100%. It, it, and my teacher was a guy called Graham Mobbs, who was one of the most influential teachers that I, I had at any time in my in my life. Really gave me a sense of purpose and belief and why was that kind of he came in after we'd been after i'd been at school for about a year and he came in and said right you're going to stop doodling on pieces of a4 paper and he went out and the week in between classes he'd gone out and built huge wooden boards that were about three meters long by two meters structured them so they wouldn't bend and i was just like right by the end of this semester you're going to paint this Mm. and gave us a project to go out and find influence and inspiration from artists that we liked and I got heavily into Kandinsky who I loved as an artist Mm. and so I was just going around the school and drawing bits of the school and and I don't know why he just he he really liked my art he was so nurturing and so understanding and kind of was more like a mate really and was just was, was lovely and just had this whole brilliant vibe to him of like i want you to to paint the biggest board Mm. of them all because you can do that and i was like i can't he was like yeah you can and he gave me the belief that no matter how big something was and scary and just a blank canvas that i had the ability to go and do it and i had the ability to go and paint it and i shouldn't be scared of it i should just go and do it and no matter how big it was and and that that's weird i never thought of it really like that before until right now of yeah. actually he gave me that confidence that no matter how big something is you can just go, just go and do it that's brilliant and and it's and it's all going to be okay what a top draw teacher i certainly had teachers like that at my school and it it's always strange because it's sometimes it's not even the class you expect you didn't love the class that much but the teacher was the one who sort of you know pulled you in and was just like hey you know everything's going to be okay you're you're really good at this and other teachers who's just sort of way to beat you down and make you feel like crap all the time so it's wonderful that you had that person uh who always had that belief in you so art with graham mobs and did you did you call teachers by their first name no mr mobs it was mr mobs mr mobs at the time gotcha well he wasn't mr mobs he was sir they were all sir everyone was sir that was the same at my school i think that might be a bit uncommon to people over here in america but stand up when they walk into the room Mm -hmm. until everybody can sit down yes yes so we got art there with mr mobs music we keeping that as one of the three music with mr goodrich who who i was a music scholar so i was supposed to be the the golden child of the class and i was a shit bag no i was so bad i think because i was supposed to be the, the good one and so I, right. I would i would kick off i would hide the keys to the music department <laughs> in his coffee mate because he always drank his coffee black so i knew he'd never find the keys 
Um, <laughs> he gave us tapes so we could do mock GCSEs. Right. And I, over each of the musical interludes that we were supposed to listen to and then sort of transcribe, I would record the prodigy over the top of it. I was not good. I was not good. <laughs> I should apologise to Mr. Goodyear for, for being an absolute shitbag because oh, I, I, I really was. Wait, was it Mr. Goodyear or Mr. Goodrich? Good, good rich, good rich. Did I say good year? You yeah, said good year, good year. You're in, you're in Formula One, mate. I understand the confusion. Yeah, sorry. The confusion. So you said that music was what you went there for. Was Will Buxton going to be a musician at some point? No, never, 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 ever. never, 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 and well, this and this school, it was great for music, but this school was a rugby school. Johnny Wilkinson oh. was in the year above me. Wow. So yeah, this it was a proper rugby school, and it was all about sport, and I was not sporty. Okay. Now, from the age of 13, I wanted to be a journalist. That was all I ever wanted to be. I wanted to be a Formula One journalist from the really? age of 13. So I knew what I wanted to do, but I loved music. I think music, music, history, and art are the three that I would I would take with me. You said from age 13, though, you still knew F1 journalist was always what you wanted to be. Was yeah. that due to the sport in general? Was that due to the likes of a Murray Walker? Was, was it an individual that made you want to do that or the sport itself? It was... Senna dying in '94. Really? Yeah, I was 13, and my dad bought me my first copy of Autosport magazine that week. And I read in its pages what the journalists were thinking and how they were feeling, and realised that even though my mates didn't understand it because they didn't really like Formula One, that mm. there were these people who who did. And I was like, "That's who I want to be. I want to be. I want to be that person wow. that makes the geeky nerdy kid at home feel like there's other people that love this very niche thing that." That they love and oh. uh, and that's yes yeah, so i knew then that's what i wanted to do oh fantastic so the day itself here just to remind people where we're at right now you start the day in your room at lord wandsworth college you're in your room full of 12 people you're in your little cubicle you're next to matt tate the windows are locked so no teddy bears are getting thrown out of there and no will buxton's are getting thrown out of there tom pinchin's <laughs> watching the door you're coming out you're going to breakfast you're having your pan of chocolat and then you're stepping into art with mr mobs uh, doing a little bit of kandinsky from there you go into music uh, with mr goodrich and then you take history a little after that. Did you have any sort of break in the morning, sort of before we got to lunch? Yeah, usually back to the boarding house, stick CDs on the stereo. Really? Um, or read FHM and look at pictures of Drew Barrymore and <laughs> po- posters of Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore up on the wall and eat chocolate, Yeah. listen to Radiohead and Oasis. Good taste. Was that what the whole sort of dorm liked? Yeah, oh, yeah. Radio yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. It was, it was Oasis. It was Radiohead. Great era for music. So, so good. That a lot of people sleep on the 90s, but my God, it was good. We've gone through those classes. You've started with art. You've had music. You've had, you've had a break. We'll throw the break in there, listening to some Radiohead, yeah. Oasis, chocolate. Bit of history no. before lunch. Bit of history before lunch. And then what is your lunch? What was your favorite lunch? Oh like a like a beef and potato pie because they because they'd come out in these massive metal trays yeah and and then they'd cut you off a square of it and scoop it into your plate with mashed potato that didn't taste like mashed potato i don't know what it tasted like but it wasn't potato it wasn't butter it wasn't cream it was something and it was just vile so you just cover it in salt just to try and make it taste good but the pastry was thick and stodgy suet based pastry ah the stuff that gives you high cholesterol and nightmares but my god that would power you through the rest of the day uh beef that is essentially 75 percent gristle or or soft fat the tiniest shred of a morsel of something that might have been beef in there spuds thick gravy uh yeah man absolutely mega and then <laughs> it's, again it's so it, mad that that was your favorite but you've insulted it most of the time oh, you yeah, it. Oh, it was you know, rubbish it was so good oh it was the yeah. worst i loved it Hey, I love plain food what are you gonna do um <laughs> and then like a suet pudding like um you know that the the jam jammy sort of sticky jam roly poly, jam roly poly. Yeah, that's the yeah, one. No jam so for those states, I kind of like a it's like a sponge, but rather than using 
like butter or anything. It's fat. Mm-hmm. So it's just sticky, stodgy sponge with with jam around it. Mm-hmm. And then they put this custard on the top. And if you left it long enough, the custard, again, would thicken and you would have a, a skin on the top of the custard. And the skin on the custard was the most treasured part of lunch because mm-hmm. if you could get someone's custard skin oh that was <laughs> uh, that was that was top bins right so but also what you could do is if you poked a hole in the middle of it you could blow yeah. and it would go up like a like a balloon yeah. until the whole thing exploded and custard went everywhere um uh so yeah jam roly-poly with custards and kind of beef and potato pie that actually does sound like a great lunch as much as there's there's, <laughs> there's poor parts of it Something about British school lunches where it does need to be bad to a degree. It needs to be bad to a degree. Nothing was perfect. There was always those those meals that it's like, this is 90% of the way towards being fantastic, but I don't want the other 10%. It wasn't made with love and it no. wasn't served with love. And and all this at a private school that your parents are paying <laughs> a lot of money for. Uh, <laughs> and and, so and that's, I had to get, so I, did, I was a music scholar because I, I had to try and get money off as, as, as yeah. a scholar so that my parents could afford to to send me bless them they, they, they scrimped and they saved and they sacrificed so much oh, to send me to to private school um and i had to get the, the scholarship to make it sort of to make it worthwhile yeah. um but yeah you think they'd give you something decent i'm not asking caviar or anything but you know <laughs> something nice i think they did in their own way they gave you they gave you <laughs> they gave you memories didn't they they gave you memories you know what still talking about it yeah, and, we are uh, and talking about it positively we are so we've got your day mostly built out mate we're nearly there we are getting towards the final phase so we've got went through the start of your day we went through where you wake up you're next to matt take you got tom pinching outside the door you've taken art you've taken music you've had your break you've had a little bit of chocolate fhm radio head oasis then you've had history and then once you get out of that you've gone into lunch and in lunch you've got your stodgy pie with your potato and your jam roly-poly with a custard with a skin on top preferably some other people's skin on top as well and then your day finishes with one final caveat That is, you have to give advice to the kids of today. After lunch, what we're doing is we're gathering everyone in the Great Hall and we're having, you know, a bit of a... The lesson is you. You are the last lesson of the day. So you have to step out in front of all of those kids and tell them what worked for you or what they should do or not do as they move forward with this next phase of their life. So what would be the advice you would give the kids of today who are maybe wandering the halls of Lord Wandsworth College? Biggest piece of advice that I think is as meaningful at school as it is to every day of your life that you will spend in the real world is don't be a dick. Mm -hmm. It's really simple advice, but... You know, the kids at school who were in the cool group and thought it was a really good idea to make someone's life hell mm-hmm. or thought it'd be really fun to put them in a bin on top of the Coke machine with their arms by their side so they couldn't roll either way lest they fall off. You mm-hmm. know, that was really funny, guys, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. And yeah. it was really upsetting. Really? And um, there's no need for it, you know, because the bullies at school, they never go on to achieve anything. They never go on to do anything. Yeah. So just don't be a dick. But also, you know, look, don't stress about school. Enjoy it. You spend so much time at school worrying about your exams, what classes I'm going to take, how is this going to affect my future? Just chill, you know, do what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. Don't think about how it's going to affect your future. All people want to see with a degree or with what you do at, at school or college or whatever is that you have the ability to stick at something and see it through. They don't care what it is. They just want, I mean, unless you're going to be a doctor, in which case biology is pretty important, but sure. rather rather than art, do what you enjoy, do what you love. If you're in that stage of school where you're being forced to do lessons that you don't necessarily like, find something within that. Try and find one little thing within that that you enjoy and make that your focus. Yeah. And that's, I think, the same for, for kind of everything in life. Just, just enjoy it. Give it 100%. Find what you love and and do it. Truly wonderful advice. I have to tell a very quick story about my days working with you 
just to go off the back of that because I've worked in the television industry for 15 years now and I've worked with many different talent teams, what have you. As we know, this industry can be horrible at times. And, oh, yeah. you know, the, the idea of telling people don't be a dick, that should really apply very, very strongly to the television industry because there are a lot of people who fail in that quest on a daily basis. But when you find a team that seems to work with that ethos, that treats the lowest down person and the highest up person with the same level of respect... I found that when I worked with you guys at Formula One, which was the coolest experience of my life because as a kid who grew up loving it, watching it, soaking in every second, I was terrified for that experience because I didn't want to, I did not want to fuck it up. I did not want to fuck it up. I wanted to be invited back. I wanted to come back and have fun and do this again because you guys were all amazing. And I was invited back again. And each time it was, you know, you guys came to dinner with us. You didn't go to your special little talent dinner while we all, you know, went and had our Burger King or whatever we could barely afford. People were picking up the check because they knew that we were the lowly guys who weren't getting paid very much. It's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. We've got this. We'll take care of you. We were sharing cars with you. We were all going to the same bar to hang out afterwards. It wasn't you guys are over there and we're over here. And that made such a difference to everybody who worked on that crew. And I look back on those days with such a fondness. And it was so much fun. One of the great stories I tell people about in my TV career. So thank you and oh, literally mate. everyone who worked on that team for that. It was so much fun. Oh, that's lovely. Thank yeah. you, man. Yeah, but that's but that's it, isn't it? You yeah. know, is is it's all about the team. It's it everything you do is about the team and 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 creating that team and and trying to make sure that everyone has a good time. Because yeah. if everyone's having a good time, then then you create magic together. There's no point. I don't understand people that tear each other down for the sake of it to try and prove they're in charge or whatever, you know? No. You just got to, you've got to find what you love. And when you find people that also love that thing, you all come together, treat everyone with respect, and, and you can create some really some really great things i'm yeah. so glad that, that 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 time sits so happily in your memory mate you clearly show that you live by your own advice there and so that's that's wonderful to be able to to share with the world so we have reached the end of the day can i say quickly you can that if this was actually school do you know what i'd go and do next what would you and go this, we don't even need to talk about this but this will this will literally put the exclamation mark on how british my school was that next up if this was a, a normal weekday it would be sport yeah. all afternoon and that's why we then had to do school on saturday mornings or on tuesdays combined cadet force where what? I got to put on army fatigues. I was taught to use a semi-automatic weapon and I would run around the forests pretending I was in the army, okay? That is a normal afternoon for a 14-year-old child at a British public school. <laughs> <laughs> we saved that to the very end. What a story. No, you would run I'm not around... going into it any more than that. That's it. <laughs> Unreal. What are we yeah. doing? At some point, what are we doing? Uh, but that didn't scare me. The, the, get into the and get design and tech. That's get the pants off me. Give me a give me a bloody semi-automatic weapon as a fourteen-year-old. What? What's going on? It's madness. God. Madness. Not to bring down the tone, but at least we come from a country that finds that weird. You know, that's at least we do. Yes. Just saying, just putting that out there. Into just the putting world. that out there, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so your day, you went back to Lord's one, Lord Wandsworth College for one day in Hampshire. Johnny Wilkinson was in the class above you. Did you ever play rugby against Johnny Wilkinson, by the way? I have to ask. No, no. no I was in, so I, I was in the D team. So yeah, A team, right. B team, C team, D team for my year. That's how bad I was. And that's how many people there were that played rugby. Mm -hmm. My mother said about me on a rugby pitch, she'd never seen anyone run so fast in the opposite direction to the ball. <laughs> 
I love that. You were there with Johnny Wilkinson, Rugby World Cup winner, English legend. You went there, woke up next to Matt Tate, Tom Pynchon outside the door, went to art with Mr. Mobs, went to music with Mr. Goodrich, had your break with Radiohead, Oasis, FHM and Chocolate, went to history, had your lunch with your pie and your potatoes and your jam roly-poly, and then you had told everybody in the school, don't be a dick before telling them that you ran around the woods firing guns and stuff (laughs) as the last thing. Will, it has been such a pleasure. I've been excited about this for so long. Congratulations on finishing your last first day at Last First Day Academy. I loved it. Thank you so much, mate. What fun. Do you know what? It's been so lovely just reminiscing on school days and fun times and it's been been brilliant mate thank Ah, you so much you're so welcome mate before you go do you have anything you want to plug anything you want to tell the world to tune into um you can tune in to drive to survive on netflix anytime you want all five seasons and a sixth coming in 2024 uh and also because you're in the united states of america or wherever you are in the world Mm -hmm. other than the united kingdom f1 tv pro sign up uh for all the good stuff and my Uh, Dulcet Times, beautiful face, every Sunday afternoon. F1 TV Pro, everybody, check it out. Drive to Survive on Netflix, check that out. You will not be disappointed. Will, thank you once again, my friend. Absolute pleasure, buddy. Thank you. And so ends another Last First Day at Last First Day Academy. Thank you so much to Will Buxton for joining us for his Last First Day for the first last time. Join us again next week when I have another fantastic person from the entertainment industry lined up for you i promise please follow rate the podcast share it with your friends it would be great to get the word out but until next time class dismissed